All right, y'all, what is happening? This is your man, L. Jamal, coming through with another edition of Never Out of Bounds. Of course, this is the place where you can say what you want as long as you got them facts. There is uh, quite a bit to talk about today, so we're just going to get right into it with the word on the street. And first things first, I'm going to give you guys an update on what is going on between the U.S. and China. Uh, now, over the past week or so, uh, the U.S. Uh, the U.S. is recent upholding of the Hong Kong Human Rights Act, which supports pretty much supports uh, the protests going on there right now uh this has required the Chinese government uh, to basically shut off the, the Hong Kong ports uh, to American aircraft and also to American ships. Uh, there, and it's also, of course, revamps or ramps up uh, their current tariff situation. Uh, China will go on to say China urges the U.S. to correct its mistake, to stop meddling in Hong Kong affairs or interfering in China's uh, other internal affairs by any word or any act. And this is coming. From Chinese Foreign Ministry so spokesperson, excuse me, Hua Chunying. Uh, Beijing has also decided not to only bar the U.S. ships and also the aircraft, but also uh, impose sanctions on U.S. American or uh, U.S. Uh, sorry, U.S. Uh, organizations such as the National Endowment for Democracy and also the Human Rights Watch, uh, for which uh, they blame uh, for helping to inspire the current uh, state in Hong Kong right now, the current protest right now. Because of course, uh, those of you who do not know, uh, just to let you guys. And what's going on in China right now, or at least in Hong Kong right now, is that they are a pro-democracy uh, government. Uh, China has long, long since, for a very long time, operated somewhat communist. Uh, of course, they've upgraded it to 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 accommodate for the modern future, uh, but it's pretty much auto autocratic, and it's pretty much none of none of that, no no, no tenets of democracy at all. Uh, so, uh, so no speaking out against the government, no uh, complaining, none of that. Uh, very strict, uh, very strict rule over people. Of course, Hong Kong, uh, it's a very, it's, it's very weird the situation uh, with Hong Kong because there's another similar situation with Macau, uh, China as well. Uh, but the thing about Macau and also Hong Kong is that uh, they are affiliated with China. Um, it's very weird, but uh, again, these were two places that were directly controlled by European power. Macau being controlled by the Portuguese, and also in terms of Hong Kong, of course, for those of you who do not know, of course, that was ran by the British up until about 1997, when they allowed uh, basically Hong Kong, uh, they gave Hong Kong back to China, but under the impression that it would be its own kind of autonomous region, uh, where um, it was basically its own socio-economic hub, pretty much. So, uh, Hong Kong has become its own little thing in the past, well, uh, uh, since 1997. And uh, China has oversaw that while at the same time, because it's one country, two different, something like that. So, it's one country, two places, something like, some, 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 some policy that the British uh, left there, which in my opinion, now that I look back on it, it was going to, I think it was going to come to a head. Anybody who knows anything, any type of politics would have known that this would have come to a head in this type of situation. But of course, China has been overseeing Hong Kong for these different amount. Well, for this, uh, since 1997, uh, basically been, um, of course, like I said, Hong Kong operates uh, separately, but um, it looks as though that China and Beijing, its capital, has had some influence there as well. And it's still under Chinese rule to an extent but again uh hong kong has recently been wanting to break away of course china 
does not want that because for for one reason a uh china you know wants to control but then on top of that uh you know beijing is responsible for so much money in asia and this is a powerhouse that if china were to let that go that's a lot of us that's a lot of its global market share let's be real here so uh, of course china doesn't want to let it go they're going to fight for it and the u.s in my opinion I, it looks to me as though they're playing um playing or well, they're trying to play china they're trying to get involved with the hong kong uh the hong kong side of things they're trying to uh in my opinion manipulate <clears throat> the situation there right now because again i'm tr I'm trying to figure it out for myself like why would first of all trump kind of came in here with the notion of not being the world police and kind of being america first uh so i'm trying to figure out what he's doing in hong kong why he's even really tripping about it uh also Again, this is a, they want a pro-democracy. Of course, Trump is a Democrat in America. I mean, not a Democrat in America, but a Republican in America. He's conservative. Uh, I'm not saying his his government or his party falls in line with what mainland China is all about with the communists. I'm not going to say that. Um, but again, Democrats and Republicans don't necessarily mix. So, so I'm, you know, uh, it, on the surface, it looks like, well, what is he? What is he really looking for? But I think he's trying to undermine the Chinese government again. I think he's trying to force his hand um, in terms of what, uh, or maybe he even could be trying to influence uh, Hong Kong to be its own um, entity. Maybe he feels like he can do better business with Hong Kong than China. Because uh, remember, uh, Hong Kong is his own. Um, despite it being part of China, it's its own economic zone and it produces tons of money. So believe me, if that would, if, if Hong Kong were to go rogue, I feel uh, it would it would disrupt what China has going on. Definitely not in terms of its government, not in terms of its structure, but definitely in terms of its economy. It definitely in terms of its economy. So I will be keeping you guys updated here. I'm still trying to um, learn the ins and outs, at least of the U.S. involvement. Uh, pretty much these protests started because Hong Kong uh, decided that it did not they did no longer want their citizens to be deported to China uh, to face crimes. Uh, they wanted to be able to handle any legal situations in-house. And again, it's a general trend amongst this region to kind of be uh, more independent. That's generally, it's a start. It started off with, you know, being able to host your own uh, trials and all that, but it's become more of a, a kind of an independence movement uh, sh uh, slowly as time has progressed. But we will get back to this. This is not over with, especially the U.S.'s involvement in this. It's just going to get deeper and deeper. Uh, but for now, I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be talking some college football. Uh, we're going to be going over the top four playoff rankings. Just a little talk about that. Uh, later on this week, I'll be going over the conference. I'll be pre Reviewing the conference championship games. We're not going to go get too deep into some college football today. We'll also be going over some NFL uh, stuff as well as a um, as a review for you guys. So I got a little bit to talk about today, but I'm gonna, for right now, I'm going to take a break. I'll be right back. All right, y'all. I am back. Let's talk some college football real quick. Of course, I have the, well, not the final top four rankings, but the next, the next to last college football playoff rankings for you guys. We're going to go through one through four real quick. Not much has changed. It's still pretty much the same top four teams we know about. Not too, we're not going to delve deep into that. Um, we're also going to be talking about the teams on the outside looking in. I might just preview some of the conference uh, championship matchups today. Just, just, uh, 
depends on what I get into, what my what my brain allows me to remember to talk about or whatever. But let me just get right into it, of course. We're going to start off uh, with the playoff rankings. With number four, we have Georgia here at 11-1. and one. Uh, They have um, wrapped up the SEC East, and they will be facing off against LSU this weekend for the SEC title. Uh, at this point, I think if Georgia loses this game, of course, um, they're out of the playoff. It's that simple. Um, I'm not too sure who the immediate team to replace them. Uh, we're going to be looking at the Oklahoma Baylor game as a, poss a possible uh, replacement for them. You also got Utah sitting here at number five. If they're able to knock off Oregon for the Pac-12 title, which I'm not 100% sure on, um, they can definitely take that spot from Georgia. Uh, if not, then look for them to try to sneak another SEC team in there. I, I just That's just what they do. I don't I don't trust the committee. I really don't trust the committee. Uh, the best the best thing uh, for for it to be some type of similar is I'm hoping for some type of balance between the leagues is, is that Utah um, maybe beats Oregon and Georgia loses just so just so we can have, you know, just so we can have some some polarity here. Like I got two SEC teams. I don't know. You know, it's, again, it, to me, it's SEC friendly. That's how I've always thought about these rankings, whether it be the AP poll, whether it be the playoff committee. I've always thought there was some SEC bias. I'm sorry. I just can't shake it. Uh, but there is an opportunity for Florida. I mean, I'm sorry. There is an opportunity for Utah to move in there, especially if Georgia loses. I think if they're able to beat Oregon, they're the number one team. Um, they're the number one team, in my opinion, to take that Georgia spot. Again, you also have a, a slight chance for the winner of the Oklahoma-Baylor game to do it because, again, that is a that is a two uh, that, is a, that is two teams, you know, one spot away from each other. Oklahoma is six, and Baylor is number seven. So that might be enough juice to get them pushed uh, pushed past even even a uh, a one loss. You know utah team in the pac 12 so you have that going for them there at number three uh we have clemson uh they are 12 and 0 they look i'm pretty sure they're gonna you know blow out whoever they're playing in the acc championship game it's not necessarily important who they play uh just know there's gonna be a blowout win for them uh they're gonna, they're gonna definitely hold on to that number two spot barring an lsu loss who was at number two of course lsu is at, at 12 and 0 as well uh they pretty much um they pretty much, well, they, no, they didn't pretty much. They've beaten everybody on their schedule this year, including a crucial win against Alabama that maintained pretty much their placing within the top uh, four. Uh, I, I definitely thought they, they had the best win of the season. I would have put them at number one. I would have had them at number one this entire time. But again, we'll see. I mean, again, and you'll say, well, that's SEC bias. But in my opinion, I think there's truly one team every year that truly deserves it out of the SEC. I don't think that Georgia is all that great. That's just that's just what I'm saying. Usually it's this, it's it's when it's, it's when the committee start adding, you know, two SEC teams, or when you see all these different teams in the AP Top 25 from the SEC, and you could tell you've already watched them on TV, and they don't look that great. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about SEC bias. Personally, for LSU, I know that they earned their way. That's about it. Georgia, I'm iffy about, but LSU. I give all props to LSU. Uh, finally, of course, at least at number one, we have Ohio State, who is 12-0. Their conference game, uh, I believe they're playing against Minnesota. Uh, that's going to be a very interesting game, to say the least. I do not have a pick in that one. Actually, I will let you guys know the course of the week. Uh, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna talk deeply about these conference matchups, these conference championship matchups 
as I get more some more intel about them. Uh, but for right now, we're just going to name the matchups for right now. Just get them out of the way. But for Ohio State, uh, they have a very interesting Big 12, uh, a Big 10 matchup, excuse me. So uh, look for that that game against Minnesota to go, I would say, go four quarters. Uh, Ohio State is going to have to pull off a win. They're going to have to they're gonna probably win by a touchdown, possibly too late. But it's going to be a very competitive game. Uh, I think Ohio State hold on to that number one position. Like I said, on the outside looking in, you have three teams here. We already briefly mentioned them. We have five. We have Utah. Of course, they'll be facing off against Oregon week this weekend for the Pac-12 title. I don't have a favorite in that one. Both teams play pretty well. There is some things that Utah does well. Uh, there is some things that Oregon does pretty good. So, again, yeah, I'm up in the air about that one. That will determine, I believe, if, especially because if, I'm pretty sure Georgia loses. I think if Utah can hold on and beat Oregon, then you have a Pac-12 representative in the playoffs. I think if Utah loses, then I think you take the winner of the Baylor, Oklahoma-Baylor game as well. Because you have Baylor here at six. I'm sorry, Oklahoma here at six, Baylor here at number seven. I think you take the winner of that game if Utah loses. Uh, but let's move on to some NFL football, to so some pro football. One bit of news here. Uh, we're coming. It's coming out of Carolina. Uh, it looks like their head coach, Ron Rivera, has been fired. Um, they fired him yesterday. The team will start the year five and three, of course, under the direction of Kyle. Well, uh, under the direction of Kyle Allen, they started to do pretty well. Uh, but they've currently lost four in a row. And on the way, of, they are well. They are currently on pace to miss the playoffs for the second year in a row, which is not, of course, nobody wants to go backwards, especially two years straight. I would not blame all this on Tom. I'm sorry, not uh, Tom, but Ron Rivera, though. Uh, it's very, in my opinion, it's very, uh, it's kind of not fair. But again, you know, your star quarterback is, is because in my opinion, his star quarterback is out. It's not like he has great receivers. You can make a case for DJ Moore being solid. Uh, of course, you got Christian McCaffrey who can catch passes. But remember, he's a running back. He's a running back. So that's not to take anything away from him. He's a great athlete. But uh, nothing really offensively stands out to me. Uh, they still have um, the tight end there. Uh, I can't remember. Greg Olson. Uh, defensively, they've lost some pieces there as well. So they're not 100% like they used to be. Uh, but again, it looks like D uh, David Tepper, the new owner of the Panthers, uh, he wants to make a change. I recently came across a quote from him online uh, that recently, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but basically he wanted this to be his first major move of being the owner of the team. He wanted to, you know, to usher, his, usher in his uh, era of the team. So uh, that was his first major move, and uh, he pulled it off. That's what he did. Uh, I'm not I'm not saying that I'm 100 percent in agreement with it, because, again, somebody who's 76 and 63 overall, pretty much a winning record, who's taking you to playoffs four out of his eight seasons, which is not that bad. That's 50 percent uh, who's, who's won a division for you and is also giving you an NFC championship. I mean, again, I, it's I, it's too much. What have you done for me lately? And I think lately, because everybody is, I think the thing is, everybody's going to have their moments in time. When they're up, when they're down, you got to account for it. everybody else in the league. Uh, so, in my opinion, I think it's it's too much what have you done lately. So, there is so much, I hear so much, as soon as a coach has one bad year, oh, he should be fired. Oh, he should be put on the pot seat. It's, it's just not that easy. I heard people almost, you know, contemplating about firing John Gruden last year. 
And again, he's not out of the woods just yet, but he has made improvements, you know. So, um, looking at the Carolina situation, they did not have the greatest situation. They did not have the greatest set of luck going into this year. Of course, you had Cam Newton who's still out. Uh, you cannot uh, necessarily blame Ron Rivera for that. They lost one some of their better defensive defensive players over the last couple of years. Uh, one being Josh Norman. Uh, recently, last season, they lost one of their better tacklers uh, in Jonathan. Uh, sorry, uh, I think his name is. Uh, Oh, he went to the Chargers. That's all I remember. I forgot his last. I forgot his name, but he's one of their great tacklers at the linebacker position. He's on the older side, uh, but he definitely was one of their better tacklers. They lost him in the offseason. Um, so, again, uh, this is a team that, you know, is still trying to pick up the pieces. They had to do make do with a start way backup quarterback for a good majority of the year. And, you know, the NFL, you know, as they do. They figured him out, and now it's been a struggle for them. So, is that necessarily Ron Rivera's fault? I don't. I don't think so. I think he's kind of getting a bum rap. Um, yeah, but I hope he. I, I do hope he finds something within the next. Uh, well, with over the course of the offseason, because I think defensively, I think he's a really good coach. Uh, but there are some replacements that they already have. Uh, well, there are some people that this that's rumored to be in mind to to take his spot. Uh, first up, we have Josh McDaniels. McDaniel's the Patriots offensive coordinator. I believe he's done some head coaching at one point in time too. He's, and now that I think about it, yes, he was the head coach of the Denver Broncos back when Tebow was a thing. Uh, he was the coach of Tebow back when Tebow was a thing. And you already know kind of what happened there. Uh, not to take too much away from him, but Tim Tebow sucked. So that pretty much uh, defined his era. Uh, although he did win some games and he won a playoff game with Tebow, but inevitably, T-Ball sucked, and it was a bad pick. Uh, up next, you have Mike McCarthy, uh, the former head coach of the of the, um, the Packers. Excuse me. Uh, he's been out of work for uh, well, the majority of this offseason. Well, he's going to be out of work for at least a year uh, going into this next offseason uh, before the team is able to make a real choice about it. Uh, so he will have some time to take some, some time away from the game. Uh, but I do think there's some good things that he can do. Uh, he's definitely led the Packers to the, the Super Bowl. Um, he definitely has been involved with elite quarterback play. I don't know if he's a developer of great quarterback play, but if the quarterback does have some skills coming into the game, uh, I think Mike, uh, Mike McCarthy's skill set is pretty much to put the places around him in order to be better. Like he'll get some receivers, maybe a tight end. I definitely think he's a running, uh, more running game emphasis. Well, he would like to put more emphasis on the running game. I think a coach like him is more like that. But again, he had to make some concessions because, of course, he's dealing with a... Uh, Aaron Rodgers. But now that you're dealing with a whole different quarterback in Cam Newton, a different personality, uh, different, I think a different type of arm, I think you'd be more willing to, to emphasize some more rushing in your offense. And I think Mike McCarthy can do that. I think he's a good running play caller. That's just my, that's always been my opinion. Believe it or not. It's, I just don't think the, the Packers have ever had great running backs. Up next, you have uh, Minnesota Vikings offensive coordinator Kevin St uh, Stefanski. Excuse me. Um, this one, I'm okay with that because um, if you look at the Vikings this year, they have a pretty potent running game with Dalvin Cook. Uh, even though Kirk Cousins doesn't win all the, the primetime games, his numbers, uh, in terms of his statistics, excuse me, his personal numbers have improved. Uh, so you do uh, have some positive things going with him as well. That would be an okay pickup. Up next, you have Greg Roman, the offensive coordinator of the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, this would be an even better pickup, especially if we're talking offense here. Um, 
Look at what Greg Roman's doing with uh, Baltimore right now. One of the top uh, rushing offenses in the league. Uh, they can pass, certainly pass the ball. They're not throwing uh, for tons of yardage, but they're very, uh, what's the word here, efficient. They're proficient. They only need 165 yards, score five touchdowns. That's proficient. Uh, you think a team like uh, like uh, the Panthers wouldn't be able to benefit from that? Yes, especially when the rumors, uh, there have been rumors circulating about, you know, just because of, Cam Newton's health that there's a there's an outside chance that they might want to go with Colin Kaepernick. Yes, they have been. It's, it's in the ethos. Believe me, how crazy as that sounds, uh, it's out there. That's it's true. And I think Greg Roman would actually work uh, with both of those quarterbacks pretty decently. Um, I think Greg Roman had a chance to work with Colin Kaepernick, if I'm not mistaken, uh, back in 2012 uh, when they went to the Super Bowl. So he does have some experience if with Colin Kaepernick if he were if if the, the outside rumors uh, do end up becoming true and Cam Newton decides to move on and they're left, you know, deciding on the quarterback, it could be a possibility. Uh, two more choices here. Uh, these are two college choices. Uh, I'm, a, I'm not 100% on these two, especially the first one here, Dabo Sweeney, the head coach out of Clemson. And the reason why I think he's a good leader of men, or well, young men for one, I don't know if that translates into a, an NFL coach. He seems to have that college that college coach spirit and there's nothing wrong with it that's not a shot at him i just think he's more geared toward uh getting younger men together who not who not set in their ways who don't have you know really big egos and really want to be coached he's really good in the college game and i think he's having fun at clemson i don't know if he really has a desire to go to go pro i've never heard that being talked about from him i never heard of that being an option uh, but again, I'm not a, I'm not a Clemson fan, so I'm not all into their 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 ins and outs. But uh, trust me, if he would have if he would have talked about it, he's a, he's a high he's a high profile enough coach, and Clemson is a good enough you know high profile school to the point in, in which if he did want to talk about it, trust me, the, the the college football you know world, the universe would have that would have that news available to somebody like me, even some somebody on the lower level like me, freelance guy. I'd be able to talk about it here and, and display my ideas about it. So I don't think there's been any mention from him. I don't think he's truly interested. Uh, but again, you never know. Um, it could be on a personal level with him that he hasn't, you know, expressed, or maybe just between his closest confidants. We'll have to see over the course of the offseason. But I, I don't, I don't, I'm not 100% sure about that one. And, and uh, the last one here is Matt Rule, uh, the head coach out of Baylor. Uh, this one is a little bit uh, even more trickier to me because, again, he runs a really college-style offense, really fast, really up-tempo. I don't know if that offense that he runs at Baylor is uh, pro-ready offense. Um, I can see him being maybe an offensive coordinator for a while, um, looking at what he can do. Uh, but I don't, I, again, uh, another college coach, eh, they have that mentality. Again, I, nothing against the college coach coming into the NFL, but um, a lot of them, they just have like a really youthful uh, vibe about them that doesn't always transfer. Like, for example, Keith, uh, Pete Carroll, not Keith Carroll, but Pete Carroll over there in Seattle, uh, up, up in Seattle. Uh, you know, it's very, he has a very positive vibe all the time, 100%. He's always hoorah, yeah, but it's a positive hoorah. It's not like, yeah, get that, dude. Yeah, it's like, yeah, bro, you can do it. Uh, that's right, like that. It's a, it's a totally different vibe and it did not mesh with every Seahawk player. That's why you had a dismantling of the of the uh the Legion of Bull. There you go. So um that's that's it for uh that's it for the Panthers. Uh, I have three takeaways, of course. 
week uh, 13 wrapped up, of course, with Monday night. Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers get another win against the Browns, 20-13. Uh, We're not going to get too much into that. We're already in the middle of the week. Uh, but two, A couple of takeaways that I got from week 13 is the Browns will not be good at all. Not even I'm not including this season because this season I think is already over. They're not making the playoffs. But I don't think they're going to ever really be that great, even with the, the roster that they have, unless they mature mentally. Uh, Baker Mayfield has to get that those chips off his shoulders. Uh, he has nothing else to prove to nobody. He's in the league right now. He had a great rookie season to the, for the most part. We know he can play. He's going to have to play. Um, same thing with Odell. We know he can play. He's going to have to let all that diva shit go. We don't need to worry about your cleats. We don't know. We don't care about what you're wearing pregame or during the game. We don't care about your watches. Catch the football. That's where that's where uh, Cleveland is at now. Of course, they had a drama with their head coach right before the Pittsburgh game. He's wearing a shirt a couple times over the course of the week that said Cleveland started it. I mean, yeah, not Cleveland, but Pittsburgh started it. Bruh, let it go. Be mature. You're the head coach. They're looking up to you for guidance. Uh, of course, you had a couple of Pittsburgh players say something about it. Uh, Ramon Foster, guard for the Steelers, talked about some retribution. You can't go ahead and do that. You know, you don't have to take the hits. You're not out there on the field, blah, blah, blah. He's right. He's right. But let's be real here. Uh, Pittsburgh ain't all that perfect. Antonio Brown exposed that, you know. Mike Tomlin talks shit too. The thing is, you just don't make it. You just don't put it all out there. You don't wear a shirt that says Cleveland started. Get over it. Uh, you guys are still losing. You're not going to make the playoffs. None of that matters. I think what matters is you getting your team mentally together and prepared. Maybe you can knock off a couple people before uh, the end of the year. Maybe you can uh, surprisingly make the playoffs. I, I don't believe in it, uh, but I think for one, this team needs to definitely need to mature and it starts with the head coach. I think he's been playing into uh, his team's wants, into his team's needs, into their team ego overall way too frequently and it's, this is what you have. You have a team that's going to probably miss the playoffs again for the thousand times. That's, we're just keeping it lit here. And my my other takeaway from week 13, and I don't think it, it, it's simply this. I don't think Tom Prady is going to be playing that much longer if he looks like he did Sunday night. Two, a uh, couple interceptions, one touchdown. I don't think he wants to play through that. Uh, Y'all can say what you want. He's talking about playing until 45. Uh, if you ain't if you ain't looking if you ain't looking dominant, I don't think so. Uh, this team, I believe, it definitely goes to the playoffs again. Everybody wants to make it a Super Bowl favorite. I have it. I've made. I've put the, the Ravens there, especially with that one against the Niners. I got the Ravens as my football Super Bowl favorite at the moment. Um, and the question is, if Tom goes, does that mean the end of the dynasty? Yes, at least for well, I, I at least for a couple seasons. I think if Bill Belichick decides to stay, uh, I think maybe he turns it around after a couple seasons, gets some things going again. Maybe he can win himself maybe one more title before he retires and he calls it a day. But the dynasty that we know of it, I think it's going to slowly come to an end. And to be honest with you, I'm gonna put it out there right now. I would not be surprised if the Patriots lose before the Super Bowl. Just putting it out there. Just want y'all to think about it. All right, y'all. I'm taking another quick break. And when we come back, we'll be, um, I'm sorry, I have a review for you guys. Of course, I'll be going over sex tuplets, sex tuplets with your boy, Marlon Wayans. I'll be right back, y'all. All right, y'all. I am back. Let's wrap this up for today. I got a review for you guys to go over. And today I'll be talking about Sex Tuplets, a Netflix original starring Marlon Wayans, who plays the kick, uh, the 
the uh, main character, Alan. We also got Brisha Webb in here, who plays Alan's wife, Marie. We also got Michael Ian Black, who plays Doug, uh, Alan's co-worker slash friend. We also got Glenn Turman of The Wire fame, also some coolie high fame as well. He plays Leland. Uh, he plays Alan's stepdad, and he is a circuit judge. And also Molly Shannon, who plays Linda, who is Alan's boss. Um, let's break it down real quick. Um, this movie pretty much is about, it settles around, uh, like I said, Marlon's, Marlon, Marlon Wayans' character, Alan, and his wife, Marie. Uh, they are expecting their first child. And uh, this this um, this development of a new family inspires Alan to track down, with the help of uh, Leland, uh, to track down the rest of his uh actual blood family so through the course of this adventure he comes across five more siblings uh russell don jasper and also baby pete all played by marlon wayans a la nutty professor style um and uh basically he goes through some trials and tribulations with these guys he's learning these guys he also would eventually uh you know meet up with his uh mom as well his, his actual mom uh so uh let's break it down real quick and of course uh we're gonna do a quick synopsis real quick so uh, of course he comes across russell first uh he meets up with russell and of course he, he you know he gives him his spiel lets him know what's going on and then they like i said they go on an adventure they uh find dawn uh, they have to go to a women's correctional facility uh, they ended up bailing her out. Uh, they tracked down Jas Jasper, although Jasper doesn't uh, show up until the end of the movie. He makes himself revealed. They also tracked down Baby Pete. Well, Baby Pete more so tracks down Alan. And uh, there's another twin uh, out there as well. I forget his name. Uh, he's supposed to be the, the ghetto twin. Uh, now, one thing that I... I'm going to get into the, the, the main thing I did not like about the movie. I'm going to start it off with something I did like. Uh, but I'm going to get into something I really didn't like. Uh... But for one, I definitely liked Marlon Wayans in this movie. He's definitely funny. He's definitely has some. He's definitely has some raw comedic skills still there. Uh, I thought in this movie he showed it very well. Uh, he showed some uh, depth with a lot of the different characters. Uh, one thing that I did uh, agree with. One thing that I did hear uh, a negative about this movie that I did hear was that there was a lack of character development or a lack of a character arc. I can agree with that to some extent, but again. Um, I think the main character was accounted for. Alan, I believe Alan was accounted for. I believe he had somewhat of a character arc. Uh, I think he was able to accept his family. I think he was able to accept the ins and outs of his family. He got to understand who he was. And I think it uh, over time would make him a better father in his situation. Now, what I will say is the plot itself uh, was just a little bit ridiculous. And there's only so much your boy, even somebody with that type of talent and skill on his end, uh, Marlon Wayans is in, and even Brisha Webb's in, because I think she did a pretty great job uh, of being the wife, of being the wife to get the, you know, being the wife, the the encouraging figure, and also the figure to keep Alan, you know, aware of what's going on in the rest of his own situation. So she was constantly telling, telling him, look, you have your own family that you're finding, but you have to remember to come back home and all that. So she definitely did her part as well. Uh, but I thought the script writing itself was terrible. The script itself and just the dialogue between the characters, it didn't work. And it made it a situation, it made it a situation where it would almost uh, take away any type of character development from anybody except from Alan in all reality. Um, I thought that the script was written poorly. I thought it made sense. It just was written very poorly. And the dialogue itself was a lot it was a very it was very cheesy. Uh was very um 
uh, stereotypical. And I, I think a lot of people's lines were just, uh, you know, just just a product of a writer who just, in my opinion, just doesn't get it. Uh, but one thing that I will talk about uh, that I did think that kind of went over people's heads, uh, but I thought was a cool thing to talk about was certain dynamics in the black family where you are needed, especially when you are the money maker, especially when you're in a situation of an island and you have some paper to give, you have, you're in a position where you're making some money. Um, you're going to have your family come after you in different ways. Uh, for one, uh, one of his twins, uh, well, uh, except for Russell. I don't think Russell really wanted anything except for just to be around him at one point in time. He accepted the fact that that was, oh, not Alan, but Russell. Russell would understand. That's my brother. So he would, I think Russell, with the exception of Russell, uh, everybody else wanted something from him. Uh, of course, the uh, the girl, Dawn, she needed to get $10,000 get out of, of prison. That was That was her thing. So he had to give her some money for that. And then the uh, one of the other twins, uh, uh, baby Pete, he needed a new kidney. So instead of asking for it, uh, it just so happens, I guess, through the course of the the plot, which again was extremely poorly written in my opinion, uh, it leads him to the same hospital that baby Pete is at, and uh, he's supposed to be getting a surgery now. When I say he, I'm talking about your boy Alan. He's supposed to be getting a, a surgery on his nose, which he broke. Uh, well, they end up taking out a kidney and giving it to baby Pete. Uh, so is his brother and then you got another twin again. I can't remember the, the other the last twin's name He looks just like Alan uh, Exactly just like Alan except he's he dressed up like a he dressed up like an old 70s pimp whatever So he goes in there. And he basically tries to take all of Alan's money He's broke he tried to take all of Alan's money try to assume his identity because he's the twin he has sex with the boss and everything so um there are some crazy aspects in which the movie does touch about, uh, and I thought it was really cool, you know, especially with the kidney situation and just kind of this the the this the this the this the realization that in a lot of cases in the black household in the black family dynamic, the more well-to-do person is going to have to be taking care of everybody else, and that's one thing that it did it did state. It is it just did a terrible job in my opinion in doing so. So I loved Marlon Wayans in this movie. I thought he uh, had a very you know it was a straight guy role. It was a, you know kind of quirky and corny whatever. Uh, but I I I thought he made it work and he makes every work he makes every comedy role he's into work. And I can't really take too much away from the brother. I really can't, and I really won't. Uh, I, I would. I'm more so critical about how the movie was written and how the plot developed, and that you can't really blame that on the actor. That's more so of a writing producer, all those guys involved type of thing. So, uh, overall, I'm going to, because I really, really digged your boy's um, performance, uh, your boy. Uh, Marlon Wayne's performance, I thought Keisha Webb did pretty great too. Uh, I liked I liked seeing uh, your boys, uh, your boy Marlon's uh, versatility. Uh, he really, you know, he he had all those characters down. I liked the the characters were good, uh, with the exception of maybe Dawn and the mom that kind of got on my nerves. Uh, I personally thought. Russell was funny as hell, nerdy, uh, mama's boy. But again, there's guys that are like that. There's guys that are just like that. So I 
I thought that that role worked for him. He did it. He played it to a T. Uh, I also thought that the word, uh, the the last twin. I can't remember uh, his name. Uh, the ghetto acting twin. I can't remember his name to save my life. That was really good for him as well. But I think my favorite uh, would have been Jasper. I thought the Jasper, the Jasper uh, role really took it to another level. I thought he really um, stretched stretched out his range with Jasper. Uh, just his inflections, just with uh, the makeup. I thought he looked amazing. Uh, just the way he moved his mouth and just had the whole, the whole, you know, I guess, the, I guess you call it a ninja. He had a whole ninja vibe about it. And I, it makes sense. I mean, you never heard the word before. I don't think I ever heard that word into the movie, but uh, he project whatever a ninja is. Uh, your boy Jasper, played by, you know, Marlon Wayans, he exhibited that to, to a T. So, um, Marlon Wayans still has some skills. Uh, but the, 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 the writing and the development of the movie itself, it just happened to suck. It's the writers in this, in this, in this, in this, in this, in this case, it's, it's the writers. It's the writers. Uh, but, uh, overall, I'll give it a, because I really like the job that I give so much props to what Marlon Wayans was able to do, I'm going to give the movie a C, an average. I know a lot of people are going to say it's worse than that, blah, 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 blah. But take a chance to look at what your boy Marlon Wayans has did. He's he's very, he's very rangy, especially in terms of his com comedic acting, his comedic timing. Look at that, Jess, look at that, that last scene uh, where Jasper is finally revealed. You get a really idea to see just how deep and quirky his character work can get. He's one of the best, one of the underrated character out character actors out there. Just gotta keep it real with myself. That's what I saw. Alright, y'all. I'm gonna call it a quick break uh for today. Uh my next episode, of course, I do have some more reviews for you guys. I got Nice Out that I recently just saw, which was amazing. We're gonna have to go through that. I also have not gone over Hillary uh Harriet. I don't know why I just said Hillary. No, no Hillary here. No. Uh Harriet. Harriet Tubman, baby. Not, not Hillary. Fuck her. Harriet. Okay, we got to go over that as well. And then, um, of course, we're on the street. Uh, I, like I said, I, all, I also promise to give you guys some more... Uh, some more insight into these conference matchups. Of course, we briefly mentioned a few. We talked about the um, the Big Ten. We barely mentioned the Big Ten. We also mentioned the SEC championship between LSU and Georgia. We also talked about the Pac-12 championship and the Big uh, the Big 12 championship. So, of course, there's a few more. We have to talk about the ACC championship, which is going to be a pretty much easy one to go through. Uh, and all the other smaller conferences, we'll be talking about those as well. All right, y'all. I'm going to call it a wrap for today. If you're looking to get in touch with me, you can hit me up on my email at ljbutler75 at gmail.com that is eljbutler75 at gmail.com I also have an Instagram and a Facebook page that is at ljamaljani that is e-l-j-a-m-a-h-a-d-j-a-n-i once again that is ljamaljani e-l-j-a-m-a-h-a-d-j-a-n-i I am also looking to start a uh a Instagram page specifically for the show because that's kind of all that I put on my my regular Instagram anyways it's just my work stuff so I will be working to get me uh, another Instagram for the show you can still follow me on my regular Instagram but I'll be looking to be more socially inclined on there and then I will have uh, a, spa a page specifically a face uh, sorry an Instagram page specifically for the show that is the next goal uh within the next week or so and i'm also working on part eight 
of my Golden State issue, the history of California immigration. So do take a look out for that as well. If I don't have that for you guys this weekend, it will be ready uh, by next week. All right, y'all. This is your man, L. Jamal, signing out. If anybody hasn't told you yet, I love you. Uh, peace out, one love, and I will holler at all you guys later. All right now.